All right, boys and girls, we are back with another edition of the Ben Dominich podcast brought to you by Fox News. You can check out all of our podcasts at foxnewspodcast.com. I hope that you will rate, review, and subscribe to this one and share it with a friend if you find it of interest. Today, I have a conversation with Tom Homan. He is the former ICE director who is now a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, someone who's probably familiar with you if you've uh, watched any of the segments on Fox about immigration policy over the past several months. Uh, obviously, we are speaking at a moment in which uh, the disaster on the southern border uh, is really unfolding before our eyes. We see the influx of, of people from primarily Central America who are coming across in droves and unprecedented and historic levels. Bill Malugin has been covering all of this for us at the uh, at the network, and I hope that you're paying attention to his coverage uh, from the southern border. We talk about what's going on there, and uh, Tom delves into a number of different issues that are related to the fact that the border crisis as we currently ex- are experiencing it is really different than the crises of the past. Tom Homan, coming up next. Tom Homan, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to talk to someone who had, you know, in-person policy expertise on the outcomes of all of the different decisions that have been made regarding immigration policy over the past several months underneath the Biden administration. Just give me your, your overall perspective on what brought us to this moment and why we're seeing the images that we're seeing on the border. Well, it's purely politics because... You know, we briefed the incoming administration, the Biden administration, of what we've done to, to give us the most secure border of my lifetime. That's just not words. The data showed it, right? 83% decline in illegal immigration, a 40-year low. And they were briefed hundreds of times, not just by me, but members of CVP and, and other agencies, that if you did away with certain policies, you would see the success quickly go away. In the first two weeks that Joe Biden became president, he issued over 90 executive orders, 90, that basically abolished every policy that worked, worked under Trump that gave us the most secure border. So this wasn't on accident. This isn't mismanagement. This isn't incompetence. They purposely, and I said this many times in my speeches across the country, Joe Biden's first president in the history of this country, who came in office and unsecured a border. Understand that every president I've worked for, I've worked for six, starting around Reagan, even Clinton Obama came in office saying, we got to do something about the border because they understood you can't have national security without border security. Some did more than others. No, no one did more than Trump, of course. But Biden's first president came in office and unsecured the most secure border we've ever had on purpose for you know political ideology. And, and what's happening right now is historic illegal immigration. I wrote an op-ed for foxnews.com six months before Election Day. And I said, if Joe Biden becomes president, we'd lose the border. Just based on what he was promising. Moratorium on deportations, amnesty, DACA, free health care for illegal aliens, uh, shut down private prisons so there's no detention. Who the hell wouldn't want to come to the greatest nation on earth if you know you can cross the border, be released, and even if you lose your case, which 88% will lose their case if they don't qualify under rules of asylum, they won't be removed because at the same time they, they decapitated ICE. Secretary of Homeland Security has said being in the country illegally on its own is not enough to be removed. It's not enough to be arrested by ICE. So they set the stage, and here we are where we're at. Historic illegal immigration. 
You know, one thing that I think escapes a lot of notice or certainly did until the last couple of years was the degree to which cartels profit from uh, trafficking in humans uh, across the border, uh, that they you know charge people to bring them to the border, that, that they have more control on their side than we do on ours. Why do you think that that's something that uh, hasn't really until fairly recently penetrated the uh, the minds of a lot of political leaders who just seem to be or have been unfamiliar with uh, that type of activity? You know, I don't understand. I've been pushing that for the last two years. Uh, again, for the most American people, if they don't watch Fox News or listen to shows like yours, they don't even know there's a border crisis because other networks aren't covering it. But the criminal cartels, make no mistake, you're exactly right. The criminal cartels have operational control of our southern border. And that's just not my opinion. That's not just based on intelligence reports. If you talk to chief patrol agents, most of them are my friends. I won't give you names because they'll get in trouble. But most chief patrol agents on the southern border have said, they don't have operational control of the border. One chief patrol agent used the term broken arrow. He goes, Tom, I can't contain what's coming across. I'm maybe crabbing 10% at best. You know, some sectors like El Paso, 90% of the agents are off the line. They're not patrolling because they're in facilities processing. Matter of fact, he had video, Bill Malusi had video yesterday, hundreds, hundreds of them just walking across the border into the city of El Paso with no border patrol agents stopping them or talking to them because they're not there. So the criminal cartels certainly control our border. And I said after the election that those cheering the most were criminal cartels in Mexico because they're back in business. That is why there's so much violence in Mexico right now because criminal cartels make a record amount of money and moving fat now on other drugs. They're moving. They're making record amount of money on illegal immigration. They're, they're making record amount of money on trafficking of women and children uh, for, for sexual purposes. And they're making a record amount of money on moving criminals and and, and probably no suspected terrorists because you got to pay the cartel so much money. If you just want to cross the border and turn you over yourselves over the border patrol agent. But if you want to escape the patrol and you want to get to Chicago without being arrested, you got to pay a little bit more and it'll get you to Chicago. So it, it, they're making more money than they've ever made. And that's why you see so much violence in Mexico. The criminal cartels are fighting each other for control of the plazas, their areas, they call them plazas. And, and so they're fighting right now who controls these plastics. They're making a godly amount of money, billions of dollars. So it's the criminal cartels control everything on the border. When I say that, I say 200 migrants just don't show up and cross at a certain point at a certain time all by themselves. The criminal cartels tell people where to cross, when to cross, at what time to cross, and how many can cross. Because what they want to do is send 200 groups to one area. Knowing Border Patrol, whatever's left on the line will seize that opportunity and go deal with that humanitarian crisis, which leaves this part of the border wide open. That's when they move the fentanyl. That's when they move mm-hmm. the guys who don't want to be arrested. And people need to understand when I say they've arrested 116 people that try to get into this country that they're on a terrorist screening database. There's over one million recorded gotaways, known gotaways. Terrorists don't want to be arrested. Why did one million yeah. people want to escape? Why didn't they want to cross the border? get a free airline ticket to the city of their choice and be released. Why? Because they don't want to be fingerprinted. That one million got away to scare the hell out of everybody. You know, one of the things that is so infuriating about this is that it feels like the conversation hasn't caught up with the reality in Washington, meaning that 
oftentimes I hear the same kinds of language around uh, immigrant movement as I heard during the debate over the guest worker bills and things like that, you know, 15 uh, plus years ago, when in reality, this is a very different makeup in terms of the populations that we're seeing coming, uh, the, you know, the, the persistence of family units, et cetera, and the like. Uh, and uh, it just doesn't it, it doesn't map. It doesn't have the same character to it uh, as it did back in the day. What's the number one thing that you would say to a member of Congress to get them to have their head screwed on straight about the nature of the difference between the way that immigration flows worked 15, 20 years ago and the way they work today? Well, first of all, I would tell members of Congress, this isn't what we've ever seen before, because we've got people from 160 countries. 160 countries mm-hmm. back when I was a border patrol agent in the 80s, 95% of everybody arrested was a, was a Mexican national. You may have a few yeah. Central Americans, but you never arrested people from Turkey and China and, and Russia. In El Paso the other day, they had a large group get away, and one of the border patrol agents talked to one of the El Paso police officers said the whole group was either from Turkey or Russia, you know, running across the border. So I would say, first of all, this is this is a worldwide issue because 160 different countries are entering the United States, and I would say, look, I don't, I don't care what your opinion is on illegal immigration. You have your opinion, whatever. But when, I, when you cause a crisis this big, that takes 80 to 90 percent of agents off the line, that's when the fentanyl comes across to kill 100,000 Americans. There's been 1,400 migrant deaths on U.S. soil under Joe Biden, which is directed by far. A record number of migrants are dying. A record number of Americans are dying. The sex trafficking of women are at an all-time high. We've had over a quarter million kids across the board, children, and they've been released to so-called sponsors. They can't find 40% of them. 40% of them have vanished. They don't know what happened to them. How many of these kids are, are stuck in, a, in, in, in some sort of sexual perversion? Uh, how, how many of these kids are being forced labor? How many of these kids are being abused by child predators? God help us. So I would tell the lawmakers, I don't care what your opinion on illegal immigration. When you cause a crisis this big, you bring public safety issues. You bring public health issues. You bring national security issues. You have to pay attention to what's going on the border. You can't have national security without border security. And I leave it at this. Look, after 9-11, we always said, never forget. After 9-11, we created databases, the TSA no-fly list, the FBI screening database, the visa security program. All these systems were built to prevent the next terrorist from getting a visa or a plane ticket coming to the United States. And those databases have worked pretty damn good. The visa security program has prevented at least 8,000 people with derogatory information on getting a visa since it's been implemented 15 years ago. Now, those databases, even though they remain important, are less meaningful. Because why, if you're a terrorist, why would you try to get an airline ticket or a visa and go through vetting and possibly be outed and, and find out who you are when you can simply cross, go, go to Mexico and cross the border way one million others didn't get away, pay the cartels a little bit of extra money and say, when you send that family group this way, send me to Chicago, get me to Chicago. Mm-hmm. That's just scared the hell out of everybody, not just you know, senators and congressmen and the American people. This is a national security issue. So get off your ass, put politics aside and secure the border because this, I tell you what. I don't know how many terrorists have crossed the border since Joe Biden become president, but someday we're going to find out, and it's going to be a bad day for America. Last question before I let you go. The, you know, the 
obviously the White House is in a bind politically on this because their left flank doesn't want them to do anything that could be compared to the approach used by former President Trump. Uh, and yet at the same time, I think there is an awareness among a lot of red state Democrats, many of whom are up in the next election, that those are exactly the kind of policies that they need to put in, uh, into place again. Uh, otherwise, this is going to be an out of control situation. How do you think that that's going to end up playing out? And do you believe that the White House is ultimately going to be forced to do some things that Joe Biden may not want to do because of and the progressives certainly don't want him to do uh, only because uh, there's really no other solution? Okay, that's a great, great question. You you obviously have a good insight on this issue. Uh, what I've been saying is the reason I need to have oversight hearings when they take back the House, have oversight hearings, an investigation to see. I'm sure there's enough to impeach Mayorkas. But even mm -hmm. the hearings themselves, you subpoena the right people, you subpoena the information. And I met with over 100 DOP congressmen and said, I'll help you. I know where the bodies are buried. I know what you look for, where to look for it, who to call in. Because there's going to be so much damning information comes out of these things that those Democrats that are running for office in 2024, are they going to be forced to see what's, what's produced? They're going to be forced to have to acknowledge this isn't, wow. This is this is almost criminal. This is almost treasonous. They're going to have to take a. They're going to have to take a side. So I think this. I think the oversight hearings are going to serve a purpose in 2024. That these vulnerable Democrats are going to have to admit, we've lost control of the border. This is a national security issue. We need to take a stand. So that's the number one thing I want the GOP to do when they take back the House oversight hearings, educate the American people what's really happening with evidence, then force them to make a stand. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me, Ben. More of the Ben Dominic podcast right after this. I wanted to thank you all for listening this year to the Ben Dominic podcast and tuning in so regularly. I really appreciate the feedback that I get from all of you. Uh, and, uh, and thank you so much for listening in 2022. We've delved into a lot of different issues, uh, including some serious ones and less serious ones. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to read a lot of books and to uh, see a lot of, uh, of different things over these, over this past year, uh, as we've tried to give you some insight. Uh, into what's really going on in the world. I do want to say that, you know, one thing that I think is really striking about this year is that it seems to be uh, a pretty misbegotten year in terms of the level of policy changes that have happened in the wake of the pandemic. It doesn't feel really feel like this pandemic is even over. It feels like we have this permanent mindset toward it. And obviously, the impact that it's had when it comes to our electoral politics has been particularly felt. Uh, the institution of mass mail-in voting, for instance, was obviously a major factor in 2022's midterms, turning out not the way that I and many other prognosticators expected them to. Uh, this is because, obviously, we have voting months now as opposed to our voting seasons, as opposed to an election day. Uh, and I think that one of the things that we have to adapt in terms of our thinking going forward is how many of the policies that were enacted over the past couple of years are going to be with us for the foreseeable future. Certainly the election side of things is going to be one of those. But, you know, in his farewell tour, uh, Dr. F Anthony Fauci has also certainly been uh, sounding uh, the note on a number of different counts uh, that I think is uh, is really disturbing in a sense. Uh, the assumptions on the part of those within the media 
and those who are leader in leadership roles within our politics and our culture regarding the way that things have changed uh, is seemingly uh, of a permanent mindset. Uh, and I certainly am seeing, you know, a lot more masking this season, a lot more, uh, particularly masking of children, which is something that uh, continues to bother me in terms of their development, in terms of the impact that they've had, that people have had on uh, the way that they learn and the way that their educational and, and development processes are worked through in an environment where they're not used to seeing people's faces uh, or learning uh, to imitate the way that they speak because they can't see the people's lips. It's something that is really uh, a problem and is sad, uh, but it's also something that I think is only going to go away with time and with uh, cultural shifts in terms of the way that we think of this uh, COVID uh, illness as being something that we have to live with as opposed to uh, you know have any hope of, of effectively eradicating it. Um, we are going to go through, I think, a, a real period where uh, uneven policies across the country uh, on this area uh, are going to continue to be the norm. Uh, and that's going to be increasingly divisive in an era in which uh, we have everything nationalized, uh, where our Twitter conversations and, and Facebook conversations, where social media effectively turns every story into a nationwide story, as opposed to one about locality and one about community, where different value systems can uh, have impact, uh, is, is going to be something I think that we have to wrestle with as a country for the foreseeable future. And we've gotten used to maybe, I think, a, a stronger degree of sameness than what we should tolerate in terms of the way that Americans live their lives, uh, the way that these policies are put into place and the way that we uh, have to adjust and uh, and modify our lives according to them. Uh, instead of having uh, the ability to have 50 different states and to have different communities, different cities, different policies across the spectrum, I think that we've adopted too much of a top-down mindset where where there's one way of doing things, and that's the only way that we ought to accept as Americans. Frankly, that's not in our national character. It never has been, and it's to our great, uh, to our great efforts. Uh, I think uh, as as people who believe in limited government, uh, to push back against that uh, in as many ways as possible. We've seen a couple of changes that are positive. I do think that this final, uh, you know, getting rid of the vaccination mandate. When it comes to the armed forces, is a significant step, uh, and uh, sends a message that is that is bigger than uh, even it actually is. Uh, but again, it, this is something that I think is coming too little, too late, uh, and is unfortunate in the sense that we even had anybody who uh, had to go through uh, getting kicked out of the military over something like this. Look. I'm hopeful for the future. I continue to be hopeful for the future. But I also think that we're going through a pretty dark period right now in this country. And I think that that's a time when we need to be able to turn to our loved ones and to our friends more than ever. So with that, I wish you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and we'll be back soon to dive back into the fray. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.